0: This week, Whitney tries to balance the public and private faces of singer Whitney Houston. There were always a lot of secrets. When you don't resolve things and you don't deal with things, they never go away. Funny Cow is a tough, bruising comedy about comedy. I want to do what you do. I want to make people laugh. It's not a job for a woman. Can you sing? You could be a stripper. They'd like you if you took your clothes off. And New Zealand's best short films offer a glimpse into possible riches to come. You're a long way from home, eh? Yeah, me too, but, well, kind of. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. They call Hollywood the dream factory, but that's a little confusing. The movies are selling two very different sets of dreams, after all. Theirs and ours. We expect the big screen to produce appealing stories of... Boy meets girl, a virtue triumphant and evil vanquished, all sprinkled with tinsel and glitter. But then there's the Hollywood dream itself, where a kid can arrive on the set of nobody and, well, you know the rest. All right, now I'm through. But you keep your feet on the ground and your head on those shoulders of yours and go out and saw you. If you're going out a youngster, but you've got to come back a start but even those dreams aren't as cut and dried as you'd think. In the States, the Hollywood dream is simple, fame and fortune. I'm sure it's nice if a film gets good notices, but generally that's just icing on the cake. What's important is a hit, followed by another one, and another one, forever and ever. There's no dream like the dream of never-ending success, no matter the cost. Oh, The record will become number one on the hit parade. be played on the jukeboxes all over the country and i'll be made end of dreams there's only one thing wrong with that i know it won't happen no it might happen very easily unless the dream isn't big enough In England, they claim to be a little suspicious of mere profit. So, while there have been highly successful British dreams in the Hollywood sense, James Bond, Harry Potter, the dreaded love actually, they aspire to something a little less crass, to making something important, maybe. Now is the winter of our discontent made glorious summer by this son of York... Perhaps it's all those centuries looking up to Shakespeare or Jane Austen or Charles Dickens. Whatever the reason, the English dream on film, at any rate, is respect. Awards and glowing reviews, if you like. Of course, secretly what they're hoping is that all that respect will lead to well-paying jobs in a big Hollywood dream movie. But that's later. Where's the mutant now? With them. I have made the first move. That is all they know. Come. The UN summit is approaching. Time for our little... So, what's the New Zealand dream? Well, despite the successes of local heroes Peter Jackson and Taika Waititi, it's usually neither unlimited millions or even rave reviews in The Guardian. For most Kiwi dreamers, it's enough that the film gets made at all. A long time ago... My ancestor Pikea came to this place on the back of a whale. <laughs> Since then, in every generation of my family, the first-born son has carried his name. Raising the money, either through official channels or unofficial crowdfunding, is hard enough without adding extra aspirations, popular success, huge profits, or even quality. Quite often, the New Zealand dream stops at the end of the red carpet on opening night. <laughs> Well, this week we look at all three types of dreams. A well-reviewed English rags-to-riches story of a female comic cracking the world of working men's clubs. Some New Zealand films at the International Film Festival. And first, the old, old story of fame, fortune and the seemingly inevitable fall from grace. Whitney. Uh, yeah, yeah. Her voice, I was totally knocked out. Woo! The yellow brick road to pop startup is so littered with casualties, Michael Jackson, Amy Winehouse, Janice, Jimmy, Judy Garland, that it's astonishing people still dream so desperately of taking it. Oh, you miss something if you don't see her live. Whitney Houston was one who you'd think might have managed to avoid the pitfalls. Her family was in the business. Mum was Sissy Houston of the famous Sweet Inspirations. She came from a church background. She was supremely talented. What could possibly go wrong? There were times when I would look up the God and I'd go, why is this happening to me? I come from a family of singers. My mom, she was a little tough on Whitney because she knew what Whitney had. There were always a lot of secrets. When you don't resolve things and you don't deal with things... they never go away. Well, according to Whitney, the documentary by Scottish director Kevin MacDonald, it all went wrong because hardly anything we thought we knew about the squeaky clean Whitney Houston, I always thought of her as the black Julia Roberts, turns out to be exactly true. There was Lena Horne, There's was Dionne Warwick, but if the mantle is to pass to somebody who's got an incredible range of talent, but guts and soul, it will be Whitney Houston, in my opinion. Sure. Yes, she came from pop aristocracy. Her cousin was Dionne Warwick and her major champion was Arista Records' Clive Davis. But she was brought up in the streets of New Jersey. Mum was often away on the road with Aretha Franklin or Elvis Presley, but she knew her daughter had something special. Nobody could touch Whitney as far as singing. They said, "Mom, she taught Whitney everything she knew about how to use that voice. You had three places to sing, from: Heart, mind. Guts. She learned them all. And Whitney's talent was undeniable. When she hit in the 80s, she was almost too successful. Hit after hit after hit, it all seemed so easy for her. She may have been the most successful black female artist of the time, only Michael Jackson matched her hit rate, but she became bitterly resented in the black community. They called Whitney Whitey. She was simple. She became Whitney Houston when it was time for her to get on stage. But looking at Whitney Houston now, years after her heyday, what strikes you hardest is simply how good she was. The unavoidable I Will Always Love You from her one big movie, The Bodyguard, may have put us off Whitney forever. But now, watching her walk through a routine on stage before a big night, her gifts are undeniable. So what went wrong? Well, that's always the question in a film like this, because sadly, very few artists this talented, particularly in the music business, come out the other side in one piece. Tell me about Robin Crawford. Robin was her safety net. Bobby was jealous. His heart was he wanted to be on the stage. He wanted to be in the forefront. The answer is usually drugs, but drugs are just a symptom, albeit a symptom that Whitney Houston took to enthusiastically. As far as who to blame, well, take your pick. Her grasping assistant, Robin Crawford. Her jealous husband, the charmless Bobby Brown, but above all, her own family. They showed up at events together, play-acting the perfect family. Me and my brother, we took care of Whitney but both of them were doing drugs. Whitney's feckless brothers may have introduced her to drugs, though they deny it, saying she didn't need any introducing. Her mother seemed to think her job was done once Whitney had her first hits, while Sissy's husband, John, joins the pantheon of famously awful showbiz fathers. She was daddy's little girl. All the decisions were about the money. And then Daddy turned around and wants to sue her for $100 million. With somebody who loves me. That would break anybody's heart. Kevin MacDonald's film is as well made as you'd expect and it carefully celebrates Whitney's talent and the high points of her career for the first two-thirds of its duration before diving into the bad news. What I'm saying is if you want to keep your illusions about Whitney Houston, best to leave after the first hour. Why didn't Sissy do more? What was Whitney's drug of choice? What was it that drove them apart? How much do you think you spent? Did John ever try and get rid of Robin? Were they in love? You must have known about the drug use. Like so many top artists, she was often her own worst enemy, and the people who should have been protecting her were simply on the payroll, with nobody willing to stop the gravy train. Everything began to spiral out of control. Uh. I feel like you and me against the world Sometimes it feels like just me against this whole world If you want to be reminded of the pitfalls of the American dream, Whitney certainly delivers. But it's mostly worth seeing for the moments of magic when Whitney showed what talent looks and sounds like. It's just a pity that the price is so often fame. I- that got it or you don't have it. She got it. Wait till you hear it. Here's Whitney Houston. English variety couldn't be further away from the American equivalent on Broadway or Las Vegas. For years, comedians, singers, dancers and strippers have plied their trade in the Northern Working Men's Clubs, miles away from their pampered rivals in London. And it was almost entirely a male world. Please give a big welcome to Funny Cow. Good evening. I was about 89ers at school. You're special, don't you? Well, you're not. And I thought that's what I'll do. It'll be my job to make them laugh. Funny Cow tells the fictionalised story of a rare female would be star in the clubs. She's never named, simply described as the titular Funny Cow, and played by TV star Maxine Peake. Get your own cup of tea. <laughs> Once you're on the outside, that's where you stay. It's our house, where we live. In fact, most of the creators of Funny Cow come from British TV, notably writer-co-star Tony Pitts and director Adrian Shergold. And one of the inspirations seems to have been Maxine Peake's mentor, the late Victoria Wood. Good evening. How very nice it is to be here this evening. But then again, I'm from Rotherham, so it's um, it's nice to be anywhere. But this story is totally fiction, opening in the grimy gunnels of northern terraces. A heroine, Funny Cow, has it tough. An alcoholic mother and a violent dad who end up providing her with comic material for her act. It's not we to leave, Mum. It's we to stay. Me dad, you're an hard man. There's this kid on our street and he says, I bet my dad can beat up your dad. And I thought, flipping hell, what? Well. Jesus But that's for later. First, she has to enjoy the mixed pleasures of boyfriend Bob, who takes over from her late father when it comes to beating her up regularly. You can only feel sorry for the actor playing such an unsavoury character, except Tony Pitts wrote the script. There's something fearless about giving himself the line, I told you what would happen, as if he had nothing to do with it. I told you I I told you what it happened! Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. There's no particular scene in the film that explains exactly why the funny cow was drawn to the comedy scene, and maybe there is no reason for it. She's just got it, and it needs to come out, as they say. Even when the comedian who inspires her is the well-past-his-prime Lenny, played by veteran Alan Armstrong. What's this? The event of the talent show. I'm going. I want to do what you do. I want to make people laugh. It's not a job for the woman. Can you sing, you could be a stripper they'd like you if you took your clothes off there's many a slip between cup and lip as they say up north and before the funny cow can get where she needs to go she first has to get out from under at home and who should appear on the scene but a wobbly prince charming, Angus the bookshop owner Not me about Here Up he does happy now Happy? Why on earth would I be happy to hear that? Oh, you can be my rescuer, can't you? Play at shining nights. It's Paddy Considine, usually so likable, and here so obviously wrong for our heroine. She can't believe her luck when she first looks around Angus's middle-class home, but she soon becomes a cow in a china shop, tiptoeing around Angus's easily hurt feelings. I think we should have children. Why? Pregnant. Ain't funny love, it's about surviving. The hard thing for any woman from that sort of background is escaping it. Whether it's well-meaning wimps like Angus, self-destructive losers like the violent Bob, or the awful role models of Funny Cows, Mum and Dad. I conquer my love. We're going. Out. Number one, please. That lot out there will tell you to pieces you rubbish. I'm going 50 quid to make a twat of myself. What are you going? But the refreshingly northern attitude of the movie Funny Cow is it refuses to blame anyone or for that matter depend on anyone else. You make it on your own or not at all. No whining no weaseling and some of the most un-PC jokes on the circuit for good measure. Have any of you read any of them lonely arts adverts? Curvy. Fat what? Bikes eating out. Lazy what? Happiness comes and goes, so give yourself a chance. It's a dream role for star Maxine Peake, and in a way a love letter to a style of entertainment that's all but gone now. But it's also a film about making it yourself on your own merits, and to hell with them if they can't take a joke. As I say, rather refreshing. She's a funny cow. She's a funny cow. The local films on offer in this year's New Zealand International Film Festival are mostly non-fiction documentaries, but at least the short films competing for New Zealand's best are fictional, even if some of them clearly borrow heavily from real life. When, when you say the outdoors, you know, it, it usually means, you know, fishing or cycling or biking or whatever, I mean, drinking on your porch really count does it i never said i do any of that stuff yeah but it's implied i just i like being outside it's implied judah finnegan's charmer a first date for two middle-aged singles benefits enormously from two great performances by robin malcolm and stephen lovett by contrast falling up starring written and directed by chelsea preston crayford is rather overpoweringly autobiographical hello i can see you Ah. Get your shoes. Preston Crayford's two-year-old daughter is played by her own two-year-old daughter. Her character is split up from her partner, and her real-life estranged partner shot the film. At the end, the lead character seems to rejoice in shedding them all for an afternoon. Hard not to agree. <laughs> More ambitious is a film called My Friend Michael Jones. Not the ex-all-black, but a struggling schoolboy at a mostly Pacific Island secondary school. Hey, MJ, Skux guy. Nah, he's a he's a gay boy. Hey, MJ, <laughs> gay boy, gay. Don't <laughs> you kill yourself like your dad, you, know. you got ass bitch. Directors Samson Rambo and Ian Leo Pepe set out to tackle just about every current issue, from suicide and sexuality to domestic violence, bullying and social media. But to its credit, it doesn't feel overburdened, and it even ends on a brief, joyful bit of music and dance. More troubled youth appears in Brendan Donovan's gritty No Shame, set in Timaru. Our hero fights with his parents, wrestles with the memory of a dead girlfriend, and takes on South Island machismo and gun culture. Fire trucking the bed, waking up still drunk, and you can't remember what you did at the party to that girl. It might have been really bad. No Shame is the New Zealand's best finalist, least likely to be turned into a happy-go-lucky musical, needless to say. Also set in the South Island is Robin Patterson's Run Rabbit. Uh It's okay. That's okay. It's just fireworks. Look, see? It's just fireworks for New Year's. It features two young Middle East refugees who find themselves in darkest Invercargill. I think Run Rabbit was my favourite, not just because it looked so good, thanks to cinematographer Alan Bollinger, but because it told a story I hadn't seen before, certainly not in New Zealand. You're a long way from home, eh? Yeah, me too, but, well, kind of. Over, eh? Oh, well, uh, see you next season. Maybe. Hey. I suppose you could say the same about the supremely silly Sail Away, Ella Beecroft and Tama Jarman's fairy tale about a factory worker's dream of a life on the ocean wave. I've built my own boat, and I'd like you to teach me how to sail. What, you? Sail? And that thing... All six of the films have their merits but it's the next step of their directors that's of most interest and the success of a mostly crowdfunded feature film called Stray was certainly a surprise particularly since it happened at the prestigious Moscow Film Festival. Dustin Fennelay's dark, mostly silent art film deals with two loners struggling with their pasts and meeting at low points in their lives. Stray has been described as part of the doer man alone tradition of New Zealand storytelling, a phrase I find as off-putting as the one-word description Bronte-esque. Though it's interesting that it was shot by gifted cameraman Ari Wagner, best known for his work on the undeniably Bronte-esque Lady Macbeth last year. The chief impediment to giving you some idea of what happens to Jack and Grace in Stray is that none of the footage on offer has any dialogue at all. It's probably best, for more than one reason, to see Stray in a cinema. Stray starts slow, deliberately, but it picks up as we become intrigued by how the two characters got to this point in their lives and whether there's any way out. Worth seeing, certainly, but don't go there if you need cheering up. Stray's good for many things. Star Kieran Charnock picked up Best Actor at the Moscow Film Festival, but it's a little light on laughs. And on that encouragement to try all sorts of fare, it's time to go. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do?